Hi everyone, this is Jacob. Welcome back to the show. I'm not going to say the name of the show because I've changed it so many times that I just figure if I leave the name out of the intro, then the intro can stay valid even if the show changes names yet again. I've recorded this intro a lot of times trying to get it right, so this is going to be the last time, and I hope that it will be the best time. Let's just say what the podcast is going to be about. Um, today's conversation is with Scott Jackish. He's the founder of the Oakland Future Society. He is interested in positive psychology, which is the science of what makes us happy. And today we discuss the PERMA model from Martin Seligman, who is a prominent positive psychologist. And the PERMA model deals with, is one model of what are the components that lead to human happiness and life satisfaction. In addition to that, Scott and I spend a lot of time talking about community, culture, and subculture in our attempts to navigate the various subcultures in the Bay Area, to find places where we fit in, don't quite fit in, and where we don't fit in at all. And yeah, it feels good to be releasing another episode. It feels really good. Um, this is a source of meaning for me, and meaning is really one of the themes of this podcast, just what is it and how do we find it? Because I have found that to be a difficult question for me in life, and when I feel most satisfied with life, it's not when life is easy, it's not when life is hard, it's actually when I feel like uh, I'm in the right place. When my efforts are making the future better than the past, where what is being demanded from me is a good fit for my talents, where things seem to fit together. And that process of, or that question of searching for meaning seems to guide me to those places. I don't want to talk too long here before the episode, but I just want to say that I find myself inhabiting a tender-hearted place lately. And for those out there listening, I want to send you my best wishes. I want to send you my love. Maybe life won't be easy, but if it's not, if it's hard, then I hope that the difficulty and challenge and struggle will go towards a good purpose. I hope that you will find it to be meaningful. And I hope that you find your way to happiness and peace. Life isn't always easy, and, and the challenge of being can be a heavy burden to bear sometimes. But if we remember that we're all in this together, then maybe we can make that burden as light as it can be. Amen. And without any further intro, here's my conversation with Scott Jackish. I'll see you around. Okay, Scott, thank you for joining me here. I know you as a person who is very thoughtful about how he lives his, his life. You seem to put a lot of thought into how you, things you choose to do and not do and how you go about it. I wonder if you could, if we could explore a little bit your life philosophy. Wow. Okay, that's good. Actually, I like that you said that. Um, I want I, w I want to be a thoughtful person and I want like I do I sort of subscribe to that idea that the unexamined life isn't 
is not worth living to some degree. I think that's just, I think, yeah, I do think I do subscribe to that. Um, my, my philosophy definitely is, is, it's evolving, right? I don't think it's, um, I, I do think though that, so, so when we go back, we can talk about like ephemeral. So one of the things that, that when I went to ephemeral for the first time, one of the things that I discovered was, um, what, and I'd always had a sense of hedonism and what that meant. And of course I had friends that were quite hedonistic when I was younger who enjoyed to party, enjoyed a lot of like physical sensations and physical pleasures. Were you hedonistic when you were younger? I think I, I think, I think I was, um, t- it's hard to say, right? I, like I did things like, I did things like, um, uh, uh, go to parties and I did things like I did drugs you know, and, and, and I had a lot of, um, not a lot of sexual partners, but I had, you know, some sexual partners. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't polyamorous like people are today, or, or, or we didn't call it polyamory <laughs> at that time. <laughs> we didn't have good rules or ways to do it. These kids. I, I mean, it's very interesting to see, like, the, you know, the way this, this very structured polyamory. I mean, I was in relationships that could probably be referred to as polyamorous when I was younger, um, but we didn't have good ways of talking about it, and it was emotionally painful and, 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 and harmful really I think for myself or for others um, I don't think though that like I had like a lot of like I don't think I tended to value pleasure um, like it was more like I was doing it in the sense because this is what was being done around me and and I think I was le- much less thoughtful about the things I was choosing well that's not even true because um, so when I <laughs> We can get into the whole thing. So what? So when I dropped out of college, okay, uh, uh, and, and I dropped out of high school, so I'd, I'd gotten into college with a GED. I had a lot of friends who had went through this at that time. Like a lot of my friends were going through this thing where they would they would go to go for a semester, screw up, drop out, and things like that. And so when I just deliberately said, "Well, I'm just not doing this. I'm just going to choose a different path," um, everyone was quite amazed. So that was quite deliberate, and that was thoughtful, I think, because everyone else was just sort of. Um, subconsciously knowing they were going to fail to go to, to, to get the semester done or whatever, but continuing like fruitlessly to, to do it over and over again. Um, I think though, so yeah, so so there is some thoughtfulness there. But I, you know, I, I think I'm kind of... let's let's make the topic of conversation pleasure because I, I know that you have a lot of interesting thoughts on um, pleasure and how it fits into a good life. Right. And. Uh, in in our friends group, you you might even be a little bit of a contrarian on, on that. Like, I don't think most people share your 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 opinions. Um, for for my part, I, I like pleasure. Um, it's not clear to me exactly how it fits into a good life. I've been having been pursuing a lot more pleasure lately, and prioritizing uh, new experiences and exploration of the world over maybe physical maybe over material success or something like that it's hard for me to see exactly like what where pleasure fits in with my principles because it has sort of pleasure seeking has gone along with sort of a more exploratory phase of my life in general that phase has been very uh good to me and i think good but um i'm not really sure pleasure seeking itself is and i and i think i'm a little bit wary of it just i i, I come at pleasure from a, uh, a very skeptical standpoint but i'd like to hear your thoughts on like like 
like how valuable is pleasure? Right. So I mean, so I start with Seligman, right? I mean, we talked. Have we talked about Seligman? Martin Seligman. Yeah. Okay. He's like, like a Stanford, Stanford PhD. PhD. I don't know if he's at Stanford. He's a positive psychologist. He was the inventor of positive psychology, right? Sure. Okay. I think. Yeah, he's certainly one of the main people, and, and he has this PERMA model. I'm always talking about the PERMA model. So PERMA is an acronym, and it stands for positive emotions. So so what so what is the PERMA model? So the PERMA model. Is this so? Seligman has this idea that um, when people say happiness or they want to be happy or something like that, to some degree, this is kind of a, a misnomer. Like they don't specifically want to be happy per se. They want they want self-actualization or fulfillment, or he calls it flourishing. And so when we talk about flourishing, um, it's it's a little broader than just um, happiness per se. So when we talk, so the PERMA model is his attempt to try to say like, well, what are the components of self-actualization? What are the components of flourishing for a human? And, and, and so the P in PERMA is P-E-R-M-A. So the P is positive emotions. And um, I think a lot of hedonism fits into the positive emotions. What we normally think of is just sort of like the emotion of happiness falls into that. Um, so it's certainly a component. And, and, it's, and it's almost, we need this, I think. And I agree. I think, and, and I think Sullivan is right to, to include it and to say it's something we need. Um, so we but we can move on, but he, like it's a more complex structure, what, what, or it's a more it's a bigger model. Like that's just a part of the picture. So then the next is E, which is engagement. Now engagement is what people talk about as being like a state of flow, and this is and Seligman insists that this is sort of like you're not you're, you lose yourself in this state of flow, like a basketball player on the court, um, as they you know, or a musician who is 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 is, is, is loses himself in the music. Um, the ego, in some sense, goes away, and in fact, a lot of people. He insists a lot of people. He differentiates between this and positive emotion. Now, I have my friends like Mike Johnson and other people who are into this, like Andres Emelson, who are who are really studying qualia really hard, and they they will disagree with me on, and and Seligman on this, and they'll just gonna they're gonna lump that in with preferred states. Um, I tend to go with Seligman and say this is this subjectively it doesn't it feels different. You've been in a state of flow. <laughs> Yeah, I have. I, I mean, I even would consider myself to be like closer to a state of flow when I'm having like a good conversation with a friend. That's one reason why I like making podcasts because it's like way more fun to me. Like this time will pass very quickly. Like I'll just feel very engaged compared to some other things I've done for making a living, such as uh, computer programming, where sometimes I was in a state of flow, but but often I was not. So yeah, I like flow. But it's diff. It's but it, but I mean, w- would you would you say though that it's somehow different than like the feeling of, of just like pleasure? Absolutely. Okay. To me, so I, you- I think it is a an enjoyable state, but there's something almost like non egoic about it. It's like it's a state of uh, where you lose yourself in the yeah. in what's happening around you. Right. En- engagement, like like what you say. Yeah. So he calls it engagement. So here's another component. So we have so we started with P. We have positive emotions, this is pleasure and happiness. We have engagement, which is a state of flow. So R in this model stands for relationships, and he's talking about these po- positive relationships that we have with other people. We need this to be connected to other people, um, and we need this, I think, for self actualization, for flourishing, uh, and as you know, <laughs> these relationships are not always pleasurable, and they're not always like happy. Um, uh, they have value in spite of that. Like, and, and, and I would go so far as to say that the value of a relationship can't necessarily be derived just from the pleasure that you have in that relationship, right? I mean, that's so. Th- this is sort of this is becoming a model. We haven't got through all five letters yet, but it sounds like 
um, something a little bit different than what a utilitarian would think about. Like they might think about their relationships or states of flow or even positive emotions in terms of like one underlying thing that it can be reduced to, which is utility. And you stay in a relationship as long as it provides, it sort of provides more positive emotions than negative emotions. I guess as, as long as it's emotionally profitable. And that's sort of the way that they see everything. But this model seems to be saying that um, these five components, whatever they may be when we get to them, are worthwhile in their own right. And they, they can't be reduced to each other. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think Seligman would hold that. I, I, I certainly do. And this is, again, I think you're touching on uh, uh, where I'm contrarian with a lot of people, right? Um, I do think a lot of hedonic uh, utilitarians will reduce this to preferred states. Um, and my, my, my standard argument against that is it's a tautology. <laughs> like, if at some point, like, your preferred states are just everything that you, 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 like, if what you're maximizing is everything that you prefer, you sort of haven't, you haven't sort of specified anything. You know, it's, it's, it's just, like, we want what we want, you know. And, um, and this is, you know, I, if you go on, I think Plato and the Stanford Encyclopedia um, for for philosophy, it's a great way to like if you go in there and you look at these arguments between the hedonists and the you know uh, and, and opponents of hedonism, you see all of this play out. This isn't this is nothing new. This is this these are just the standard responses. Um, I do I do tend to subscribe to these are discrete states. Like these are things that we want in and of themselves. Um, and 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 I actually think that when we and this is like when you look at your own life, for each of these things, to the degree you're missing these things, like you could probably benefit from having more of them. Like I don't think you can have a trade-off of just like I have so much positive emotion, I have so much positive emotion, I don't need engagement. Like I don't think that's true. So yeah. this is um, this is a fascinating train of thought, but I want to make sure maybe we could just go through all five of these real quick and just get them on the table before we be, before we like, dive deep into any of them. Sure. So P E R M A perma. Uh, just run through them real quick for you. Okay, so P is positive emotion. We talked about it. E is engagement. R is relationships. M is meaning. And in his case, meaning means being part of something greater than yourself. And we can come back to what that is. This is like a capital M meaning. This isn't just the general sense of meaning. And he also included A for accomplishment, which is sort of tacked on at the end. Um, and accomplishment, um, which is funny that he tacked it on at the end, it's, it's you know, of developing developing facility or developing skills and that we we kind of tend to value those in and of themselves um and and we can argue about whether that is because of the status and it it, it it um uh gives you to to have developed facility or to, to develop skill um but these are all part of a um if we take this as a whole so so what I like about this is one, um, we can argue at a philosophical level about what are we what are we maximizing or what should we be maximizing for utility? What do you mean by utility? And two, it can, it's like sort of a self help thing, right? It's like <laughs> I look at my own life and I say, okay, like like, but you can see so so when we talk about positive emotion, for example, like pleasure, like someone like myself who tends to be like. I tend to be a workhorse and a workaholic, and I tend to like to think about hard problems, and I tend to be like in my head a lot and things like this, um, thinking about the future a lot, being a futurist and whatnot, um, maybe there's an imbalance and maybe I would benefit from having more positive emotion. And this is why I like, there, you know, there's a, like when, when someone says, oh, come to ephemeral and this is a big party, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try that. You know I mean, or when, so, 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 so I think- So we'll, we'll get to ephemeral in, in a minute. Um, 
I, I do want to dive into that because I think uh, that's a, a great sort of um, example that crystallizes and, and it illustrates a lot of things about your philosophy and, and how you interact with, with things. It's sort of a, a high pressure environment. Um, but I just want to comment on this model. Um, it, it's striking to me um, to see these different things laid out um, in sort of a, a way that doesn't try to, in a non-reductionistic way. Because I have friends that I know um, try to maximize each of these as like their life philosophy. And, um, and I find it to be really, uh, like there's always just something a little bit too simplistic or missing about it. Like maximizing positive emotions, I certainly know a lot of people that believe philosophically or in, in their own life that that is the way to go. Um, and there's a lot of thought experiments and philosophical uh, re rebuttals to that, um, which I find mostly uh, convincing. So I don't do that. But I also have friends that try to maximize flow. So they're trying to maximize E, engagement. Um, they say, you know, if I can just find my way into a flow state my whole life, then, or as much as I can, then I'll live a good life. Um, and that also, you know, I think flow is really nice, but it's sort of not the thing I want to be doing all the time. Like I, I recognize the limits of that philosophy, like sipping a martini on our a margarita on a beach um, with your friends is like a really good thing to do. And it's not flow at all. Um, and, uh, and um, I mean, a lot of people I know are implicitly fo following max accomplishment. Like that is very common in Silicon Valley. Um, and recently I wrote a blog post on, called uh, optimize maximize for meaning or optimize for meaning I, I had this idea like oh maybe these other things that people are chasing like they're not the right thing like just chase max meaning and that would be a good life um and so i'm just kind of enjoying this um very non-reductionistic five point program um seems maybe i like all these things and i think that simple models probably are fail to capture reality because reality is complex so i'm 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 digging it i mean the book is flourishing by martin sullivan it's more of a pop science kind of thing you know i think he explores that much more deeply I mean, what's interesting here is that he's done empirical work right so he'll say things like now okay we can talk about how what do we care about self-report but to some degree i think we should care about self-report when we talk about stuff like this so he goes to people late in their life and he asks them and, he's, and they've done this study where they say self-report your, your life satisfaction uh, based on different strategies and and he found that that people with a self-report uh, positive emotion seeking like a hedonistic approach to life have lower self-report life satisfaction than people who have in, in, who have sought either engagement or meaning um, i don't think he got he doesn't show data for relationships or accomplishment but um but so so i think your intuition about meaning being more important um, is borne out by empirical evidence of what people say about their life. So if, if, you, if, you, if you've led a life that you describe as, if you've had a strategy, if you describe your strategy as being meaningful, um, you know, it would be interesting to see if you could object objectively like say what is meaningful or not and, and, and like cross-check it. But there's some, there's some evidence from, from you know, that, that this is actually, you know, how people uh, uh, what what does make people happier? So maybe a greater emphasis on, on engagement and meaning would make you happier. Um, I think it it's. I mean, you could average out. I mean, what is the the thing? The thing is, I I take this with a grain of salt, right? Because I think there's a Mark Twain um, 
thing about averages, right? Uh, where he says something like, "Well, if you take a man and you put one foot in an ice bucket and the other set the other on fire, on average, he'll be he'll be comfortable, mm-hmm. right?" And so I do think that um, I don't think we can we can be too slavish about that. Like we can like there's there's some suggestion that that engagement and meaning could could be lead to a more fulfilling life or a life that you're more satisfied with, um, and I'm certainly inclined to think that. But at the same time, I think that um, the people that will neglect, like you were saying, like this is, there's more to this. Like to the degree we neglect accomplishment, or to the degree that we neglect um, uh, 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 positive emotions, um, I think we're going to be less rounded. I think I think the the the, the fulfillment is going to be less. And really, like, to, I mean, to some degree, like, how do you even understand the value of? Um, how do you understand, like? It's almost like you don't have a context. Like if, if you don't if you don't experience pleasure, like like or, or, or you know deliberate pleasure, um, how how do you like differentiate that from from engagement? How do you differentiate that from the meaningful experiences? I think I do think that we actually need these references in our lives, you know, to, to do it. But yeah, I mean, I recommend the book. It's worth it's worth checking out, or at least you know you can. I think you can get a lot of just there. There's some good blog posts if you just Google the PERMA model. People who talk about it, um, you know more succinctly and you don't have to dig through the whole book cool well with that in mind i'd like to talk about ephemeral and your experience with it now um i don't want to define too many terms in this podcast but there's a lot of people out there who haven't heard of ephemeral so i'll just say it's um it's a burning man type festival on the water it's very small um it's about 300 nowadays maybe about 500 people that um take boats together on the Sacramento River and they tie them up so to create floating islands and we build dance floors um, and walkways between them and have uh, kind of a floating rave and it is one of the strangest and in my mind most delightful things that I've ever done Um, and uh, the people who go to this tend to be somewhat artistic a lot of a lot of people with a technical background either in software or in building physical things um a lot of people from silicon valley and also a lot of artists who like to build uh real life big sculptures and um who like to push the boundaries of what can be done um it is very much a subculture very much underground um and I, I, I've gotten a kick out of it. And I guess we could subtitle your experience at Ephemeral as Scott Jackish tries to experience positive emotions. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even get, yeah, I didn't get like what a like non-hedonist or a stoic I was until I kind of was, was immersed very deeply in this, you know? And I think that um, uh, it helped me redefine that. Of course, you have a sense of who you are and what you are, but I mean, I think that um, it really did. It, it helped me like say, well, oh, I'm kind of not a hedonist. Like, I'm, this isn't like my this isn't a focus of mine, um, and this isn't this isn't something I'm not valuing this positive emotion very highly over me. Like, uh, yeah, I, I tend to focus more on meaning and engagement and things like that. Maybe all of them, uh, you know, all of the others aside from uh, from positive emotion. Um, and it was it was a revelation to me. You know what I mean? And then I have so many friends who are hedonists, right? And who, who are hedonic utilitarians. Uh, and I think in the rationalist community too, it's very, it's, it's, it's just a given, I think, uh, generally. You know, almost everyone, maybe there's some negative utilitarians and stuff like that. 
I want to be a little bit careful with this label hedonist because it strikes me that what you might be referring to as hedonist might be just people that value pleasure more than you do, which is almost everybody. <laughs> that's a fair point. I think that's definitely a fair point. Uh, I it's uh, I have a very low a very low pleasure seeking. I almost have to be dragged into it. So yeah. The, take it with a grain of salt when I call people hedonists. But, I mean, come on. I mean, this is, if we compare this to the average, it's clearly a, it's a nonstop party. Like, that's that's part of what it seems like. Um, there, I, I, I am finding it interesting that um, experiencing this uh, pleasure-seeking environment, like, gave you more information about yourself. So I think that is, like, a good practice for people to maybe um, step outside of their comfort zone every now and then and... Um, you may enjoy it, you may not, but you'll definitely learn something. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it came from exactly. I mean, you're doing. That's what I, I'd taken us. Um, the way I heard of ephemeral was at uh, was I was at CFAR with Randy Henkin, um, and Randy actually mentioned it. And so CFAR is this rationalist boot camp kind of thing. One of the things they talk about is comfort zone expansion, cozy, C O Z E, and 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 I and the idea is that you're taking in. You're taking in new experiences um, that you wouldn't have had um, other than that, and and we can get into like what some of the models of why that would be useful. Um, p- part of it is that um, your system one they have this idea of well, it's Kahneman really it has this idea of system one and system two, and system one corresponds to the subconscious roughly, and system two corresponds to logical or conscious thought. Um, the idea is that experience populates your system one. System one is sort of your subconscious, sort of a pattern matcher, or it's a, a effectively a pattern matcher. And, and when you have a new experience, you're populating that system one with more with more of a, of a dictionary or an in, of a database of, of of patterns to match against. And the broader experience that you have, the more uh, arguably the more um, the more powerful your system one, your intuition will be, right? And I think the people who are powerfully intuitive, like we tend to see people who are quite intuitive. They're seeking out these new experiences, quite right. There's, a, there's a, whereas I, 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 like I myself tend to be more logical and more, um, maybe, maybe too much, too focused on system two, and then I tend to not seek out new experience and and, and be averse to that. And so I try to break down, like, like this is, I try to break down my my um, my barriers to trying new things, and 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 go and going to ephemeral was part of that. Like, was for me, it was part of a cozy exercise to do that. You know, I don't think of ephemeral as being uh, all that pleasure-seeking myself. Like, a lot of what I um, enjoy there is the relationships, like building uh, connections with new people. I've gotten several of my uh, best friends in the Bay Area actually date back to the ephemeral that you went to uh, two years ago, including, I think I met met you there. there. Yeah, (laughs) Um, or at least I got to know you there. Actually, I think I met you there. I find engagement just through um, through either building, helping build the uh, the island, or um, you know I've given I ran a workshop this year uh, and gave a lightning talk. There's sort of just the way of giving back to people um, keeps me engaged and gives me accomplishment. Like I, I feel like ephemeral is just this like burst of like every kind of good thing. It's like a I will. I will definitely allow that. I'll definitely allow that. I mean, I think like what after I. I mean, right after the experience, the thing that I was focused. I, so, so I largely agree with what you're saying. So, so um, it was. I think that it, it again. It looks very hedonistic to me, um, due to my bias. Um, whereas, folk, th- those are the things that surprised me and 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 um, 
and, and made an impression on me. But when you look at, like, I wrote a blog post um, right right after that, um, the experience, and what I was focusing on there was intentional community. Right? I was thinking, this is like a, an ephemeral, like a, like a, like a passing intentional community on the water in which we have a tribal coming together and this goes back to you know i didn't have language around like keegan's language at the time so i couldn't talk about it um i wasn't thinking about it in that way but but i do think that this is this is one of the ways we're solving the problem of modernism this problem of isolation um and i and i can see how you can get a lot of meaning out of this kind of thing um and and i think and i'm I'm all in favor of that sort of project like we need scott aren't you part of our tribe Shouldn't you be part of our tribal coming together? I feel like, well, that's kind of personal, but but um, I I do like I'm 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 very sympathetic to this tribe. I do feel like um, like some of the things that I was uncomfortable with there. So I'll just we'll just get into it. Let's just get into it. So sure. so so the you know there were so I'm in I'm in my forties right mm-hmm. and and uh, don't look a day over thirty five. Don't look a day over thirty five. That's beautiful, but. Uh, so I'm there, and there were some, you know, younger, much younger women, topless and stuff like that, running around naked, and and I felt uncomfortable. I felt like I was looking, like I'm looking at them, and I'm like, oh my god, like I'm like a dirty old man looking at these young naked women. And I expressed this. I was like, okay, like this is just a part of my experience, and I felt uncomfortable, and I felt a little weird, and 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 I think other guys who are my age who are like quite into it. Um, like don't like take 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 umbrage with this idea that I would suggest that there's such a thing as a dirty old man or any of this. Like maybe this is just like some repressed, um, uh, some sexually repressed baggage that I have from you know from a from a Catholic, admittedly Catholic upbringing. Um, and I'm you know okay maybe like that's fine. I'm just ta- just talking about it, right? So this is this is how I felt, and and I got like. Whoa! I got like beat up on. <laughs> it was quite explosive. Like there was a long, extended Facebook, um, like multiple Facebook arguments. Because then afterwards, like we went to a uh, like a, a burlesque show or something that we didn't know was a burlesque show. We thought it was just like a. We thought it was um, at that at that ephemeral we were at. They were doing a lot of um, what was it called? It's like it's like jazz electro swing music. Electro swing. And I still love electro swing. Electro swing is awesome. Uh, Caravan Palace and and those bands, amazing, really cool. Um, so we thought we we're going to that kind of thing. I took my girlfriend, who's like a you know second wave feminist, and and when we when the burlesque started, she just blew up and was like objectification, and I'm out of here, you know. And so I just mentioned that as like I posted something like yeah, well, um, and I don't even think I went off on it too much in the post. I just was said something like, but I'd made all these new Facebook friends at Ephemeral, so like like really like it almost like the my new Ephemeral friends were like a significant portion of my friends at that time because I I tend to only friend people that I know like in real life. I don't necessarily. Like, I, I, most people who try to friend me who I haven't met or haven't talked to, I just don't. I just don't pay attention to those. And so th- they see me saying stuff like, "Oh, well, I guess you know, I don't want to see this. You know, this is this is objectification. I guess this is objectification. I don't know. Maybe a feminist would. I'm not a fem- I don't consider myself a feminist. Um, I think it's. I, I laugh at men who call themselves feminists. It seems like. <laughs> I, I I consider myself a facet like a feminist sympathizer. I have a girlfriend who's a feminist. Obviously, I have to. I'm sympathetic to her point of view, and and I'm sympathetic generally to that point of view. Um, and there was like another huge explosion of people, you know, def- you know, drawing distinctions between burlesque and stripping, which I think are um, not super useful distinctions to make. Like it almost suggests that, like, if you are sex positive, what do you have against strippers? I guess. <laughs> like, why is that disparaging? <laughs> so, you're you're po- you're definitely pointing out something that's uh, true about the festival tribe, including ephemeral, which is um, it has a certain amount of 
uh, laxity around normal normal sexual mores. Uh, people wear a lot less clothing than they do in real life. Nudity is less of a thing. I mean, less of a big deal. Like, um, it depends on the festival, but you'll find plenty of people going around Burning Man nude and not thinking very much about it. And there's also a lot more lower boundaries around like physical touch. There's cuddle parties and it's overall a more sensual kind of crowd. They, they have, they sort of judge the traditional norms against physical pleasure between people and say like, these don't seem to serve any purpose and, and let them go. And um, so that seems to be, uh, that's certainly part of these cultures and maybe why you might share almost every other principle with a ephemerals tribe. Like you seem to fit in really well. I think people enjoy having you there, but um, I guess, is, is there another tribe that you do feel like you belong to? Like, is well, Let me go back. Let me, I mean, the short answer is maybe futurists or maybe rationalists. We have to see, but um, more futurists than rationalists, which is why I'm, I'm more organizer in that scene. But, but um, I want to go back and say like, it's not, it, it isn't, the reason I don't feel like I was part of the tribe or I don't feel welcome in that tribe is not at all that, that I am such, I have such hangups about nudity or anything like that. I feel like the, the hangups that I, it, it's more that when I express my hangups um, in a way that I thought was honest and, and, and maybe too honest, I guess too honest, like this is my, maybe that's my style, that I got such negative feedback. Do you know what I mean? Where I got like quite like intense, I felt like I got intense, persistent attacks. Um, on me and 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 when if you go back and look at the Facebook, it's like maybe I'm not remembering it right, but it felt that way. It certainly felt that way. It was like it kind of went on for several days where I won't because I won't allow someone else to have the last word on my feed um, if I disagree with them. Like that's just a thing I, of, of mine. Like I'm quite I'm quite persistent about like making my point and not letting someone else have the last word. And that's probably like a, that's probably a hang up. But when so people not letting me have the last word for multiple days and attacking my point of view. Um, and, and make and, and really, really strongly and in a, and, and uncharitably um, treating my point of view um, is more what I f- like. I feel like kind of ejected me from that from that tribe. It wasn't like I feel like a tribe that like allowed me to say like, wow, I feel a little weird about this naked people thing. It would take me some getting used to, or maybe that's just not part that I'm into. And can I say that? Like the tribe that allowed me to say that and still let me come and hang out and didn't like get on my case about it, I, I would feel part of. The tribe that when I say that, like, blows a gasket and goes off on me, like, really intensely, like, it's like, okay, I guess you don't want me around here. <laughs> and that's kind of how I felt. That's right. That's right. I ended up. It's like, like, I'm not trying to, like, make you guys put clothes on. I'm not trying to, like, you know, there are parts that I'm going to make the moral case. Like, 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 maybe I could make, like, there's a part of me that says, yeah, like, objectification theory, like, I'll consider it. Like, I'm not a feminist, but I'll consider it. Maybe it's true, you know? But if we can't have a, if we can't have like a good discussion about it, like I'm not telling you trying to shut every everyone else down, but but um, you know, let me say what I gotta say. You know? that, that's a fair point. I feel like me and you are both people that have a hard time fitting into tribes, and I think <laughs> I think part of that has to do with the fact that both of us are very vocal and outspoken. I I um I am sort of part of a tribe of people that are affiliated with the Interchange Counseling Institute, but um, it is far more progressive than I am, and I find myself often speaking up with being the, the sole dissenting voice in um, on the Facebook group, and um, 
and that's something that I uh, not to just to bring up a, another example I think where this pattern is happening and so yeah it's hard for us to find tribes because there's no tribe just built around our own personal ideology so we have to make some compromise and then we're not going to be quiet about the parts that we don't agree with like we often we want to debate them we want to discuss them and i think i i have the value that one ought to be able to have good discussions and um so yeah if, if people aren't open to that then i feel i have a very difficult time with it sure Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely I'm, I'm an nonconformist, and I was very strongly as a kid. I rejected authority very strongly, and, 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 and I have a, a deep nonconformist streak. Um, and, I, you know, in my own case, it goes back to a dis, like, really severely dysfunctional family. Like, if you, have, um, if you have, like, an alcoholic or an insane um, parent parental group or something, then, then you're, you can't trust what authority says. And so you 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 disdain it, right? And and that's how that was my personal experience. Um, but I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> it is hard, right? And, and the older you get, the more experience that you develop. Like you do, you're 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 adding on all of these strange modules that make you more and more unique, right? And and that makes it hard to totally fit in. Um, but we need this. We need these tribes, right? So your tribe is you're going to claim the futurists ah, you know we I, I am an organizer so i've been organizing meetups in the um in the east bay for futurists since 2009 and 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 what my goal was is like at the, at, there were all these conferences all this news and all this stuff happening and i wanted just to like sit down and talk to people about what was happening and so we just do for coffee we would do that and i do i feel like the, the futurist is um, the fu- I feel very comfortable around futurists. You know what I mean? They're a little crazy. You know what I mean? Um, because they, we think that, you know, maybe some of us think that, like, a god like AI will emerge and, like, you know, either crush or save us. Um, and I'm okay with that. I like science fiction and stuff like that. Um, that we're, I feel like f- futurist is differentiated from rationalist, and I feel like the rationalist can be quite cold. Um, and, and, and they can be, they try not to be. But it feels cold when I'm when I when I'm socializing with um, like a lot of very hard rationalist community, um, or it might just be another case where I'm just again there's an age difference there, so it's a lot of much younger people, so it's harder to connect there. Um, I've experienced that too. I think if you talk to rationalists, like they're very much um, they, they they try not to be cold, but I think the the reality of just the social group and how it was maybe seated is that uh, it has attracted people who have lower emotional levels than other people yeah there's definitely like they're not like and this is why i think this is partly why like they're seeking out that oxytocin you'll see cuddle puddles there and stuff like that where it goes almost flipping the other way like instead of being like warm like in a continuous way through conversation it's fairly cold in conversation then let's all jump in the the cuddle pile together (laughs) which i'm not super comfortable with you know but um so there's there's that i mean i love my rationalists you know i mean i will stick i will stand by them and i will defend them they're my allies and and i and i feel that way also about about um um, the, my, my libertarian friends, my libertine friends, I think of like, like you know, people of burners and, and people who are into ephemeral, I consider them my allies for sure. Um, but the futurist, um, I feel, them, I guess I do feel the most comfortable around futurists. I'm trying to build community around that and build a tribe there. Um, identify, I mean, I think there's a tribe there, uh, of people who think of that, you know, think about the future, don't discount the future. Yeah, I remember recently seeing that you're trying to organize a futurist gentle persons club 
in Oakland, uh, which would be a permanent home base of futurists to try to strengthen the community there. Yeah. Again, this goes back to, well, I'll be honest. So, so I have friends who are on the edge of new reaction and the, and the idea of a mana bond was brought up to me. Uh, um, and, and I reject it, um, um, generally, um, I'm not quite sure what a man or button is, but something oh, it's like, like taking it's like you get a group of men and it must be men and we will take we will take control of physical space and we will move outward expanding the circles of control that we have and when culture around us collapses we will be strong and stand there I guess it's kind of like a, a paleolithic kind of ideal like you know the the group of hunters or warriors in a yeah. in a tribe um, trying to kind of go back to that yeah and and so there are parts of it that I feel like are um, uh, that I'd reject. I mean, I reject most of Neo Reaction, but but um, but at the same time, like I don't want to be like um, y- you know, like like blow a gasket over it either. I don't want to be one of these people that like pisses themselves because you said something um, too too um, beyond the pale. And so I'm, I'm going to listen and I'm going to see. And so, but when, what I took away from that was like, oh, well, here's this physical space, like the idea of a physical space for a club. And 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 so, what is that if we try to extract that from? And, I, and, and so I had this idea of this 19th century um, British gentlemen's club, and they were gentlemen's clubs, clearly. Um, but they had these features that I think were really cool in the sense that they, they were persistent, so you could always go to the club and you could socialize with people. Um, and, and, they, and, they, and they provided services like food and, and, and even a place to sleep if needed, like a home away from home. Um, and and they, they would act as a sort of, uh, of, a sort of base to coalesce, a nexus for people to... To meet and, and 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 a lot of times they were based on like a like a either a political ideology or a literary theme or, or things like that and um i like that idea now you know we have to this is a modern age so we have to figure out like what do we how can we extract and i have my friends who are more, much more liberal than i am um have real hard time that's why we call it gentle persons club when i even said gentlemen's club that caused a big fight you know and then luckily my friend david schneider joseph came up with this idea of like well let's of course we would allow women in this kind of thing um, and of course women will be welcome we try to make women welcome in this kind of thing but and that's why we call it gentle persons but but this idea of having a base that you could always go to and, and I'm still I'm still working on that idea um, I think that I, I like it it seems like a lot of what I I get a little bit frustrated sometimes with friendship in the in the modern world and that it seems just so shallow and there's something about sharing resources or like you know, offering a place to stay, like offering a meal, like these things um, start binding people closer. And like the people you're closest to, your family um, someday, if, or your personal family, like that, that you might get married or not get married and, and start, um, like those are the people that you really share resources with. Like you and your girlfriend, you share resources. Me and my girlfriend, we share resources. And there's some way that I feel like I have all these very shallow friendships where I, I'll like meet them for coffee or see them at events like every now and then but we're not really supporting each other um, there's some way that like each person's expe- expected to be a, a, a solitary individual supporting themselves and then um, and then like we see each other and have a little pleasant conversation every now and then um, but it's really the people who I swap housing with uh, or meals with or you know if we had um, some permanent space that all of us were sharing and creating together and enjoying together, like that sacrifice and that mutual support really just adds a, just another level of connection. It makes you feel like you're not alone. 
that's a great point yeah that's something that i hadn't quite considered from that angle so i think yeah thanks for bringing that up um i have to think about that more but it goes back to what we're talking about this problem of modernism right it goes back to keegan i mean this is where keegan i mean i'm crazy about keegan i'll be talking about it all the time I was talking about that. that's robert keegan for people listening um check out david chapman's blog post uh on robert keegan's five-stage model of adult moral development it's great yes i agree i was I, yeah i'm sharing it a lot with my friends as well um, but so the, the, for the purposes of this conversation, we can say, I think, we, I think it's fair to say that we can just talk about, so modernism is a stage for, and, and of this, in, in which we're systematized, right? And we're isolated from one another. And this enables culture to be quite powerful um, because we, we can transcend our, our, our traditional tribal affiliations or ethnocentric view. Um, but I guess what I'm feeling now is, is that we don't lose, we never lose the, um, the need for the tribe. So we, we still need the tribe. And this is why we have subculture. We have subculture. And Chapman, I just write, I differ with Chapman somewhat. Like he, um, I might, because he, he's, he says, well, the subculture is not, we can't rely on subculture. And he has a whole, a whole article on that. But, um, but this, is, this is sort of what the futurists are. This is sort of what ephemeral is, um, is that these are subcultures, Burning Man. Um, and, and, and I mentioned the other day, Burning Man is trying to do this too. It's trying to make it more persistent, right? Where they're taking over this fly ranch or something, right? Out, out in the desert there. And they're trying to solidify this because we have this ongoing need. The need doesn't go away. The need for a Burning Man community doesn't go away when Burning Man is over. And people I see on Facebook, all my, all my friends who are going there, feel this like great remorse to return to default reality um, and, and, to, and to leave their tribe. Um, and... and I think ideally, um, what what like the way the future should be is that we have a systemized culture so that we can accomplish things, um, and we have intentional tribes or we have non-coercive tribes. We have tribes that we don't have to be part of, but we are choosing to be part of because we ally with like they, they, our values align um, with these tribes, and that they're persistent, and that we can have this kind of support like you talk about, like like shared resources and whatnot. This is a basic human need. Like this is just has to happen. And people are trying to solve this problem all over the place. People are trying to solve it in intentional communities. They're trying to solve it in shared housing. They're trying to solve it. We're trying to solve it with our little meetups. And and um, and punk rock is trying to solve it, right? And and all of these, I think, near reaction is trying to solve it. Everyone's trying to solve it because yeah. everyone knows this, this is a need that I we all have. There's something nice about, um, I think, the fluidity of subculture. Like, it is, it, it feels mature. It feels well matched to um, the reality, which is that culture ages and breaks. The faster the facts of the world change, the faster culture breaks. And really, people creating subcultures, which only uh, involve a small part of society, but doing their own thing and doing something that's more dear to their hearts than, than the larger culture m- might offer, allows for rapid evolution because it can happen at a small scale you can belong to multiple subcultures Um, they can die and they can be created again and hopefully like the the good ideas from some of them can like float up and become more permanent as we're seeing uh, burning man has just grown exponentially since the earliest days and uh, now there's they're running against the population cap on the event but there's hundreds of burning man affiliated events that are happening all the time so it's sort of becoming a, a bigger deal yeah i think i 
think subcultures are just embracing the reality that the world is changing really fast and they change too yeah that's a good point that's a, that's i think that's an excellent point i mean you said to me yourself i think a couple years ago um that that one of the big things that like 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 burning man was a huge part of your life at that time right it was like really important to you it's, it's still a huge part of my life um i think no single event has had as big of an impact on my life as burning man right and so 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 i definitely think that to the degree they can make it more permanent and they can make it more persistent um is they're going to they're going to fulfill more needs they're going to fulfill the needs of more and more people by making it more persistent and and and, and more available um you know year round um and so you know this is partly why we go after the club i think for, for my club you know what we're going to try to do now is it's it, getting the physical space put together is challenging and we're trying to get more people hopefully people listen to this and will be interested go to um my website oaklandfuturist.com you can see like um there's a there's a poll you can take if you're interested in that but um but i want to have that persistent like every saturday co- coffee right because we're doing that we're doing a coffee every saturday and then and 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 people are showing up you know we're getting good turnouts for those and and then do like a tuesday night drinks or wednesday night drinks do you know what I mean? Do the things that we would do at the club and get that pattern of behavior, people coming out and, and joining together first. Um, and then we can move, it'll be easier, I think, to move into the actual. But having the actual, to get together, that's the most important part. And the, and the, and the community is there. And, and like, if we can start with every Tuesday, this is happening. Every Saturday, you can count on us being here um, for you if you need to come get coffee and talk about Kurzweil. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for, like, because so, it's it, the need. Like I said, the need doesn't go away. It has to be there. We all need it, and we're all starving. Not all of us. Some of us aren't, but but um, you know, the more traditional of us are less starving. This is partly why I think, like, when they look at oh, like, why are like like uh, someone like a Dawkins who attacks religion so severely, and I'm quite sympathetic to Dawkins' view generally. But at the same time, when we look at people who are religious, they tend to have like, in, along some measures, they have better outcomes. You know what I mean, They're like. Happy. They're happier. They have this tribe. They they have more community. Um, they have they have more support. Yeah. The tribe, as you say. Yeah. yeah. But who wants to belong to some old-fashioned old, old church preaching things that don't don't fit us very well and sit through sermons? You 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 are exploring all these praxis. And... I do, and I still do. Um, but you know, I'm I, I recognize that I'm, I'm abnormal among my friends and my tolerance for religion. Right. Um, yeah, there's something uh, that just popped to mind while you're describing this Oakland Futurists meetup um, that a lot of people, or I think a lot of subcultures, like they see themselves as being uh, sort of evangelical, like it's their mission to change the culture. And But to be a successful subculture, you actually don't need that many people. Like for what you're looking for, for this, these uh, relationships and these human needs that are um, like having having mutual support fulfilling your needs for relationship and material support like you probably only need a couple dozen people and, and it'll be a success like it will give you all the things that you were looking for for it uh, even if it never you know really changes the world yeah exactly and this is why i disagree with chapman i think like chapman says well it's broken because and he and he, and he what I love about it is that he references Venkatesh Rao, and he brings in Rao's idea of the the sociopath and the and the losers and stuff like that, which is great. Like you got to people got to read that if they don't haven't read it. About 
That's uh, what's that? That's the, the, the Gervais principle. Yeah. Uh, by yeah. <laughs> Just amazing stuff, and and really rings true. Rao in the corporate world, it definitely rings true. It's I mean, it's quite it's, it seems like painfully obvious in the corporate world, but I don't think it, it doesn't work. Like in some ways, like you can have that in a subculture. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if like a bunch of posers come into a subculture. It doesn't matter if some sociopaths come in and sort of you know um, you know. Uh, are the become the coolest people in the subculture you still have that like you you might not get all the you might not get to rise to the status the top of the status hierarchy which i think is another reason we do this actually i think that being excluded from status hierarchies is is is, is part of is part of um it gives us alternative status hierarchies to to um to be part of and to get status with it yeah one of the weird things about being human is that we we love status <laughs> and we're, we're also really i guess it's like quite possible to create your own status hierarchy so if you're like if you love status but you know they won't let you into goldman sachs you can say like screw it i'll start Damn. something else i'm so good at magic i am like the I'll best be, magic player <laughs> I'll build my own ladder and sort of climb it as as i go and maybe one day it will be as high of a ladder as the old status ladder Again, but it doesn't have to be right. Like I think that's a, like yeah, like the like a punk rocker with the you know who's the most punk rock guy or the most punk rock girl. Um, they get they get the satisfaction of that of, of the admiration of just a few peers, um, uh, and 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 it doesn't it doesn't have to be successful in the greater culture. It doesn't have to convert the greater culture. That's why I'm skeptical when I have, you know my futurist friends say, oh, we have to get everyone to be a futurist. It's like. Well, probably not. Like that's it's unrealistic. First of all, I think think the ability to think about the future, the ability to have like a few spare cycles to even think about the future, is an incredible privilege. Um, Not everybody has even the opportunity to think. So many people in the world are just like struggling to get by. You know what I mean? And and just to have a few, you know, to have the 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 spare cognitive resources to devote to the future are um you know it's it's it's, it's relatively rare um and and it's and a lot of people discount the future very strongly do you know what i mean they have very short you know what do you call it very short um satisfaction horizon whatever it is i'm, I'm, not, I'm losing yeah a very short time preference and um so it's only going to be a small subset of us that are that are going to be interested in this and i think that's fine like that's you know that's what it has to be i have a couple of uh questions i I feel like we we explored that that line of reasoning well but i have a couple of quick questions that might spark some conversation um one um when have you or what what is something that you've changed your mind on in the last year something i've changed my mind on um so i'm i'm Okay, so so the 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 idea that um, I need to do this more. A proper rationalist would be updating all the time. <laughs> it might be just too old and crystallized. Uh, I I'm taking a, 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 a the idea. Okay, so the the idea of selection pressure on humans um, is 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 one that. Um, and this is one that I'm going through now that I'm actually struggling with. This is like very immediate of, of what I'm working on. So it does look like I, I, I've been the, one of my objections to Moloch, a deep objection that I have to Moloch is that, well, the things, these values that, 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 that rationalists would claim to protect um, are not fragile. 
So the idea that like love and and art and and cooperation are these fragile things that are that we must jealously protect from the big the big tough world. I've I've long held the view that no no these are very powerful things. Like these are like love like love is is a cooperative strategy and people that love each other will outcompete those that don't and things like that. And like art is art is like acts as a substrate for cooperation. Like I was saying the other day like like the first cave drawings could be viewed as art or they could just be, be viewed as hunting plans. Like there's the, there's the, where the bull is and we're going to surround them. Get it? Like, and then we'll all throw the spear and we'll, we'll coordinate to kill the bull and, or to kill the, whatever it is, wildebeest, whatever it is. Auric. Um, uh, and so I thought, well, these are, these are just overwhelming, powerful things. Um, the, the super weapons, these are, these are sort of evolutionary super weapons these values that we think consciousness itself is not some fragile thing that that we have to worry about like could just disappear in the blink of an eye because um when we have these like you know um these highly competitive machine intelligences or whatever so i I guess the idea of moloch is something like um the forces of competition especially like within capitalism but also just more broadly just evolutionary competition in general will um mean that uh organisms that give up some of these frivolous things such as art and beauty and love and even consciousness like these are just costly things that get in the way of competing harder right and so um ultimately the forces of competition will tend to squeeze out all the good things of the world um and there's like some ways that we see some like small scale uh evidence for that and and how like people used to be more artisans and now they work in factories and they push a single button there all day because um, that's more efficient than having everybody be an artisan um, and uh, in the in the movie her for example um, inst- people would hire a firm to write customized uh, cards and correspondence to their to their spouse instead of um, uh, instead of nowadays they might write write something personal but they've outsourced basically their communication with their spouses and and and, um and other people so that they could save more time um but i think what what you're saying is that um these things are not fragile they're actually effective uh they're actually competitive yeah they're competitive in the sense that um so like i gave the example of art so like the, the the if we if if the the, the the cavemen that figured out how to do the the art um, to on the wall to to kill the bull together outcompeted the ones that didn't, and this carried on as as art beca- serves as a substrate for cooperation in a strange way. Punk rock serves as a substrate for cooperation for that subculture. Like there's a way in which uh, Neil Stevenson makes the case that 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 science fiction writers by providing shared narratives to engineers give them this sort of shared vision that they can they can coordinate around. Um, that we all kind of get what a robot should be and things like that. Teal, um, Peter Thiel uses this, I think, um, when he names his company as Mithril or um, what is the, the, the um, you know, the, Palantir. Uh, Palantir, right? And, and, all things from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he's giving you these narratives. He's giving, he's trying to, he's trying to invoke narratives around, to serve as cooperative substrates. So I strongly do believe that. I, I do strongly believe that art, um, is, a, is a strongly cooperative, um, it can, serves as good art um, or powerful art serves as, as this cooperative substrate. Not all art meets that definition. I, I want to let my listeners know that um, the man across from me who is 
dropping punk rock as an example very often used to be very much into the punk rock scene and is now appearing before me in a white button-down shirt and uh, very carefully uh, combed hair. Um, (laughs) Very square. Very, very square. Status hacking up the ass. Totally status hacking today. Yeah, well, I got to go to clients. I'm going, I'm leaving here to run to a sales call. So that's, that's part of it. But whenever I go on site, I dress like this. Okay, that's. Uh, Thanks. Um, What's, what, what is, uh, what's your spiritual perspective like? Do you have one? My spiritual perspective. I'm, I'm very, so I'm, I'm, I was raised Catholic. When I was young, I was very religious. And, and, and I went through, um, when I, when I, I went through the entire indoctrination and, and we and learned the, the catechisms and all this stuff. And you go to CCD in the Catholic faith where you, you learn all of this, these things you have to memorize. And what I noticed was that, and I believe in God quite strongly, and I noticed that no one around me did. All of the people memorizing this were just doing it because their parents were forcing them to do it. They were all effectively atheists, um, and, and, they, and they didn't care at all about God. Um, and I went and did my, I went and did my, like, um, you go and volunteer in a soup kitchen and all this stuff. And at the very end, you have a confirmation to be confirmed into the Catholic faith, and you just recite. And in fact, it's just like a. It's, generally, it's just a um, a rote thing where you just you go and you recite your the thing the things you've memorized, and then the, they you know the priest says, okay, you will now a member of the, the the Catholic Church. And I went through and did all of that, proved that I memorized everything correctly, and then at the end, I said, he said, okay, so do you want to be part of the, the Catholic Church? And I said, no. <laughs> and I said, I don't believe in the Pope. <laughs> so I was effectively a Protestant at that age, like at 12 or 13 or whatever age. And I had a very, like, American, it's an American, young, they, Catholic. They raised a Martin Luther. Effectively. Yes. And, and so this, this guy was very, he argued with me for hours and said, so hey, you know what? Maybe that's not such a big deal. <laughs> Here's a Catholic priest telling me it's not such a big deal that I had to believe in the Pope or whatever. Um, but... Um, I, I lost that. I lost that belief in God, and and as I, um, I went into a, like a more rational and, and a scientific um, mindset, um, and and I've become quite um, uh, too much like like maybe too much like Dawkins, and I've been very like like very very dismissive of religion and very sort of angry about religion as well, um, and and the and the harm that religion causes to people. You know, today Islam, previously Catholic, Catholic and Christian faiths. Um, but I am drawn. I will say that that. Um, but I don't want to be like that. And I and I have friends who are quite spiritual, who I respect really, like have a huge amount of respect for. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to attack them. And I don't want to hurt them um, themselves. So I don't think that they're negative forces. And I'm and I am I, I am drawn to Buddhism, and I like this idea of Buddhism, and I'd like to explore it more. And, and Chapman, I think, is a great. Um, like, he's he's given me different ways to think about Buddhism that I want to explore more. Um, so that's that's I want to get more into like mindfulness, and I want to get more into um, uh, some of these Buddhist ideas. Yeah, Buddhism is a is a strange one because you don't have to believe in Buddhism to do Buddhism. Um, it's like a set of practices that you can just try out at home, um, and they start changing your life pretty drastically in, in a pretty short period of time um, and you don't have to believe in any sort of metaphysics to be a Buddhist you don't have to believe in reincarnation you don't have to believe in any gods you don't have to believe in miracles um, you just have to close your eyes take a deep breath 
keep taking deep breaths and see what happens. Um, and there's there's more subtle. There's a lot of other practices besides um, besides mindfulness meditation, which which that is. But um, I, I've been surprised in just how powerfully I, I wasn't expecting to get a personality transplant when I started studying <laughs> Buddhism, but it just kind of happened. And um, but the thing that I think appeals to a lot of Westerners, especially scientific Westerners, is that it doesn't require your belief. And Christianity is, uh, is very challenging to a lot of uh, Westerners, especially with a scientific background, because it does require your belief. Um, and that is somewhat abnormal in the history of religions. Like most religions aren't so concerned with what you really truly believe on the inside. Um, but Christianity traditionally has, and that drives a lot of people away. They want to keep sovereign over their own mind and make up their own decisions about things. I mean, people figure it out. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm fascinated, again, to bring up Thiel. I'm fascinated by Peter Thiel. Um, I think he is one of our best billionaires, um, you know, in spite of what... <laughs> that's the thing is that people, anyone who criticizes him, who's, who, who I know, um, is, you know, they should just compare him to, like, Carlos Slim or any of the other billionaires that are out there. And he is, like, the cream of the crop. You know, he's up there with, with Elon Musk, in my view. But um, he's he's quite a prominent self-professed Christian, right? And he and 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 I think you know someone posted on my Facebook feed recently this article that he wrote um, about how it's like um, you know it's 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 Christianity is is the, is the only thing that's consistent with in his view the only philosophy that's consistent with like a positive futurism, uh, which I thought was fascinating. So he he found he, he has this way of and I forget what it's what the name of that article I is. Oh, you know what I'm talking about, right? I might have it open on my computer right now. Yeah. Um, against Edenism. Against Edenism, yeah, that's the name of it. And, um, that's and in First Things, which is, I believe, a Catholic uh, web magazine. So, Catholic here, magazine. so here he is, right? So here he is, and he's, he's, he's figuring out a way to be, to be um, you know, certainly a future-thinking person. Um, uh, 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 someone who supports innovation, someone who cries and screams that we need to do more innovation, um, uh, someone who's homosexual, you know, publicly um, stating he's a homosexual on the Republican national stage, um, who uh, who's who's also a Christian and has that holds that as a deeply held belief um, and a philosophical belief and finds like and, and he sees in he sees in the, like the the um, the like like. Dominating and, and, and controlling the chaos of nature um, as an inherently Christian um, philosophy. Now that's fascinating to me, and and um, and I really appreciate the way he he does that. So it does appear that people can do this, can have, um, and he's one of the few. Um, and I certainly don't read many Christian thinkers, you know. But um, personally, personally, I have a lot of affection for Christianity, and I and I uh, like. Peter Thiel, I think that I get a lot of benefit from it, although I, I don't consider my, hmm, I don't quite consider myself a Christian, I suppose. Um, yeah. There's like a piece of me that has quite a lot of affection for it, and uh, there's a piece of me that's Christian. There you go. But, um, but it's not all of me. And, but I, I just, I do recognize that Christianity requires a lot more work, um, I think, to arrive at um, a very sophisticated and nuanced position within like like peter has like he's done the work to marry christianity with futurism uh, uh christianity itself is uh it doesn't 
you have to do a lot of digging to find the the really um, sophisticated thinkers. Um, well, he, he likes he likes Gerard, yeah. right? And so that's someone else who I'm very interested in, and I, I want to read more of. Well, Scott, we're we're about out of time. Yeah, and I just want to give you uh, the last minute to say anything that you'd like to say. <laughs> How to wrap it up? I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll be directing people to your blog, and I'll write a uh, record a little intro and like let them know about sure. the things that where they can find you on the internet. Um, yeah, um, I I think that um, I, I think people should. So to recap a little bit, like like I think people should go back and look at this perma model, and they should say like, how do we put this into our life? Do you know what I mean? And people should look at the subcultures that they have available around them and say like, how is this meeting my needs? Like you know, like. I think I think this is this is the stuff that we're talking about is philosophical and there are f- philosophical underpinnings to it. But it's a very practical and pragmatic way in which you can be more, you can be more. I want to say happy. You can be more self-actualized. You can get your needs met. Um, and if you're not, I think a lot of people today are not getting their needs met. And 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 thinking about things. These are tools like the perma model and this idea of and, and I think Keegan's work and Chapman's work is great for that of like how are you going to get your needs met and how are you going to be more fulfilled and more self-actualized and we have these tools available and I think people should um should work with them and, and and your life can be better like in just actual pragmatic real terms right here right now in this world so that's that's my